I don't have a good sign-on, so I just say something like, Greetings! You're listening to Cantus Firmus at the Movies. My name is Cody Cook, and my guest is Bridget Nelson. Bridget that sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, you're listening to Cantus Firmus. Okay. Uh, Bridget is perhaps best known to the public for her work on the long-running and hilarious television series Mystery Science Theater 3000, where she was a writer and occasional actress, playing characters such as Mr. B. Natural. Uh, the conceit of the show, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, perhaps a young Amish lad who's just begun his rumspringa and has somehow stumbled first thing onto this podcast, was that mad scientist sent a man into space against his will and forced him to watch bad movies, which he did, along with two adorable robots. As the characters watch said movies, they provide humorous commentary or riffing. Nowadays, she can be found uh, providing Mystery Science Theater style comedy for riff tracks. And uh, the shorts and features she's riffed can be heard at rifftracks.com. That's R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X.com. I also highly recommend subscribing to her podcast instead of tweeting, uh, which she performs with her husband, also of Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks fame, Mike Nelson. Before we start in the film we're discussing, uh, Bridget, uh, which is uh, Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors, I wanted to ask you a few questions related to uh, both your career in the entertainment industry uh, and your ba- and your background as it relates to Christian faith, which are both relevant to what we do at the podcast. So, okay, oh, we're on the podcast right now. Okay, oh gosh, you're yes. doing awesome. Okay, great. <laughs> I think you're very good at what you do. <laughs> what are we, what are we, we're going to do a trial run of the entire podcast. If it sounds yeah. good, we'll, we'll do that over again, word for word. <laughs> I'm so, a one-take wonder. Don't worry. So, okay. So, my first question is: uh, How did you find yourself on Mystery Science Theater 3000, and what was it like being involved in such an iconic series with so many funny people? Uh, I found myself. Hello, listeners. Um, I found myself on the show. It, let's see. It was like 1989, and I was doing stand-up comedy along with uh, Mike was too, my husband. Now, my husband, and just a whole bunch of different people, and. Um, Josh Weinstein, who was a writer on the show at the time, uh, and my husband and I were all friends. And I told him, you know, my husband, Mike, or my boyfriend, Mike, can type like 100 words a minute. He's just an amazing typist. So they hired him on as a typist. And he was just going in there and saying whatever they were saying. He was typing it. And um, of course, he started being funny. And then he just started writing jokes while you know in between and then pretty soon he was just in on things and then we got married and um on our honeymoon we were kind of like afraid that they would forget about him so we came home early <laughs> like i'm back don't forget you gave me a job and then about a year later i started writing home scripts um just kind of because i had been around everything and it was just kind of a natural uh i was just kind of a natural choice they had a couple other people submitting scripts and um i just kind of knew the system so i started writing scripts at home and then eventually they you know hired me on as a writer in the actual writing room so it was just real organic i was kind of just around enough and kind of understood the sensibility so it was an easy transition right so and you know at this time i remember seeing um an interesting ad for uh, the, the club that Prince was kind of famously involved in the seventh street entry where it was like in the course of a month, they were advertising Joel Hodgson and Prince, like we're both doing something. Yes. yes. And, um, <laughs> Joel Hodgson, of course, was the, was the creator of the show. And um, so, um, was, so we were kind of in that sort of scene, hanging out with those sort of people and just kind of fell sort of into that together. Um, yeah, I, I was doing, you know, Joel was already established, you know, star in the sense that he'd been on Letterman and Saturday Night Live and all that. 
and Mike and I were, you know, slumming on the open stages and stuff like that. So we wouldn't have been uh, at a club at that point. We were working uh, the small clubs at that point. So we weren't uh, crossing paths as we were performing, but Joel was definitely around uh, watching people uh, perform and stuff. But we got to know him really more through just introductions of people like, hey, this guy's funny. Uh, my Joel, you know, that kind of thing. And then Mike just came in, as I said, came into the office to type. So I don't think Joel ever saw him like performing, but he saw me probably more. Gotcha. So this is Minnesota and, and, and you're a young woman who winds up on working on this television show. So you're, you're basically Mary Tyler Moore, right? Basically I am Mary okay. Tyler Moore. Yes. That's my hair cool. does flip like that. And uh, I, but I don't have a Mustang. Yeah. So now with the Minnesota thing, I, I remember when we chatted uh, kind of leading up to this, you said that you had a really cool print story, which I think this is the best place. I, it doesn't really, it's not going to be relevant to anything else we discuss. So I thought I'd ask about that here. Oh, but it is relevant. Oh, okay. So, um, yes. Okay, so when um, Mike and I were attending this church in, in South Minneapolis uh, and the pastor's uh, friend, and th his friend was also just, you know, kind of an elder in the church doing everything, you know how that goes, at a small church in a small congregation. And uh, he lived kind of, uh, you know, those houses that are by the freeway, but the big, <laughs> the big wall is there. Uh -huh. um, but it was a really nice house, and um, but that's where he lived. And one, one day he was just hanging out uh, in his house and knocking the door, and it's the two Jehovah Witnesses, and um, they come in, and the one guy is talking a lot, and the other little guy is just sitting there agreeing with everything. Mm. And then all of a sudden, um, Joe, our friend, it dawns on him that it's Prince sitting in his <laughs> living room who's come to tell him about the Jehovah Witness lifestyle. And um, he recognized him and, hey, you're Prince. And he said, yes, I am. And then they just talked a little bit more about Jesus. Uh, and he said, you know, this is not, I'm not going to be a Jehovah's Witness and here's why. And, um, but Prince was pretty quiet, but uh, they had tea. They talked a little bit. He had seen him in concert. He told them about that. And off Prince went into the night. And wow. um, yeah, isn't that funny? That is, I, I always like kind of wondered, like if he really did that, I always felt, felt like maybe they gave him a pass because he was Prince. Like, well, you're like one of the 144,000 or something, probably, because you're Prince. <laughs> no. But you don't have to. <laughs> no, they, he had to do it. And um, the thing was, it was hard for him to get by in a cop, you know, without, yeah, he doesn't have his makeup and clothes on, but he still is the tiniest dude you've ever seen. So yeah. Kind of know it's Prince when you see him, and um, people would spot him all the time riding his uh, his um, uh, mountain bike around town, and people would just see him. He loved Minnesota. Yeah. He was he yeah. was a he was a true Minnesotan. His last name was Nelson. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 So you were dating Mike when you guys started Mystery Science Theater. At some point during that yeah, process, I was not dating Prince. I was not dating. Yeah. Prince. Yes. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> um. And um, so, so your 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 um, maiden name is Bridget Nelson. Jones. Sorry, sorry, Bridget Jones. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Bridget Nelson now. I don't know why I said that. So your maiden name is Bridget Jones. So you got married early enough to save yourself when the from all the what would happen when the Renee Zellweger films took off. So you didn't. There was no oh. there were no jokes about Bridget Jones's diary. Oh, no, there were so many. So when the <laughs> show first started, I just kept Bridget Jones, mostly because I had a stack of headshots that I had just paid money for in those days, you know, <laughs> uh, photographs were, that was big stuff. And so I just kept it. 
And um, then the book came out, Bridget Jones's Diary, and all the women my age were reading it. It was very funny. But I started getting uh, phone calls from, you know, my mom's friends and things like, honestly, did you write that? I could just <laughs> see you doing that, you know. Yeah. Oh, the woman's from England. Her name is, you know, and um, so, no, it started pretty early. Gotcha. So, but now that you're Bridget Nelson, have you ever been uh, mistakenly booked for something, like people thought you were Bridget Nielsen from yes. Redstonia? Does that happen? Uh, yes, all the time. Then people think that's funny. And, yeah. um, <laughs> but thank God that I, you know, we look a lot different and I generally wear about a hundred percent more clothing than she does. So, um, <laughs> not too, but both people make both jokes. So I'm kind of stuck. And then okay. Mike has the boringest name in the whole wide world, Mike Nelson. So gotcha. we just did not win in the, in the, uh, name department if you're going to be in show business <laughs> all right so so just kind of maybe one more question related to mystery science theater and riff tracks which uh, what's one of your favorite riffs for for a film or a short that you yourself wrote a line that i wrote yeah oh man oh i have to think about it let, let can we come back to it sure we can come back to it that's true yeah because it's all in it's all in context. That's true. Yeah, you'd have to be like, so what's happening is Joe Don Baker is, yeah. So, um, okay, gotcha. Exactly, exactly. But my first line that I that like you know found purchase and people laughed that hard at the writing room and then got in was in Ator and I there was a part when Ator is flying in. I I forget what we call him, but I think it's Ator Thomas Johnson. You get down here this instant. <laughs> I wrote that and I remember okay. being like. You know the writing room laughing and like yay and then it got in the script so i remember thinking that was pretty cool awesome so now we're, we're here to discuss you know film so we've talked about your kind of background in the entertainment industry um but there's also we're sort of talking about it from a philosophical or theological standpoint so i guess my question would be you know what's your kind of journey been as regards to faith um i was raised catholic and mm -hmm. um we were uh, frequent churchgoers, my parent, we never missed, you know, we were very, uh, I wouldn't say that we were devout Catholics. People say that all the time. Uh, and I don't think they really, we were serious Catholics. My family was serious Catholics and we did all the things they're supposed to do. And, um, I went to Catholic grade school, high school, college, and, um, was happy in, in my faith. Uh, and then as many young people do, I began to drift away in my uh probably after college kind of really lost my way and then i started doing stand-up comedy i met mike he was an atheist uh i didn't really believe him uh and we kind of and when we got married and had kids we still kind of went to, we went to church went to catholic church and then i had a real um like about i don't know eight years into our marriage six seven eight right in there when you're kind of look at each other and go oh my gosh uh wow we're gonna do this huh for the rest of our lives you have you know we got married relatively young and the the fun ends and you look at each other and two kids and you think oh are we gonna make it and i was right around that time that um we just both had a born again experience uh in the true sense where you know jesus is uh my god and um i began to read our bibles very seriously and then mike uh, became a believer and it was then I left the Catholic Church. I wouldn't say that I left uh, for some big uh, huffy puffy reason other than that Mike was becoming a believer and I don't think you have to be a Catholic, you know, and so we began attending a, a Presbyterian church and um, 
and uh, kind of went from there. Yeah, but it was definitely a born again experience for me, and it was like three months apart for us. Wow. Where we really turned and said, "No, I I really believe this, and if I really believe this, I just want to keep reading this word. I just want to keep reading this Bible. I love this. You know, it just you just get hungry. You have a hunger and thirst for the word, and and I think we both did. Gotcha. So At the same now, time. So that yeah. would have been in the middle of the show. Oh wow. So now, so in the middle of the show, I'm trying to think because there, there's a point in the show where so Joel is like kind of the host early on. And then, then Mike sort of becomes like the main character at some point. So was it was that basically was that was that before that happens or try to think have a sense of yeah, like basically... yeah, oh yeah 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 that was be Mike had had been the host for a couple of years by the okay. time that happened because I, really? I, I always, yeah I always forget I mean like I think Mike started hosting like in '93 and this probably didn't happen until like '96 or seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, when I, you know, was kind of young, so I was born in 87. So when I discovered mystery science theater, you know, it was, you know, everybody kind of has maybe their, their favorite or whatever, but Mike was kind of my host, you know what I mean? Right. Because you were, yeah. 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 yeah, That's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if that's something that, you know, obviously he's playing a role. So, but, but it'd be interesting that I wonder if that's something you could see watching the show, like, Oh, something seems a little different about Mike in this episode all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what? I, golly, I don't, I don't know. But I can speak to what you said about your host because Roger Moore was my 007. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just Sean Connery seemed like a really old guy by the time I was watching James Bond movies. Yeah. Well, that's kind of for, it's slightly different, but uh, for Ringo Starr is my wife's favorite Beatles. So it's, it's kind of a, <laughs> you know. And somewhere out there, Zeppo is someone's favorite Marx brother. Somewhere out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so um, so we discussed kind of having doing this podcast and, and what film we might do. We mentioned a few, and, and this one was the one that you you sort of chose um, to talk about. Why why was this one one that stood out for you? Uh, because I remember seeing it before I was a Christian, and mm-hmm. I loved it so mm-hmm. much. I just thought it was just his best movie, and I just loved it. And then several years after. I was, I kind of saw, I saw it and I thought, oh, I still like it. I like what it brings up, but I don't, I'm not very wise. I mean, he's, uh, his, the the point of it, you know, basically there is no God. What are things like without a God? Uh, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you are right. And it's awful. Uh, (laughs) But, um, and then, so I kind of didn't like it. And now I suppose I've seen the movie about eight times. Mm. And now in the other half of my life, I still think it's a good movie because it brings up big topics and interesting topics, which I don't think movies have for a long time. So even flawed thinking, unwise, whatever, way more interesting than most movies now. Yeah, well, there's something kind of honest about it. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously he doesn't, he's an, you know, Woody Allen is an atheist, so he's not coming from a Christian perspective, but mm-hmm. he, he manages to make a, a lot of points that, uh, you know, Christians would make <laughs> about yeah. the of atheism, and, and he makes them in, in a very vivid kind of way. Yeah, um, he's so right. For those who haven't seen the film or haven't seen it in a while, I might give kind of a real basic plot o- overview. In the past, I do. I feel like I spend too much time on this. I'm going to try to do it kind of quick, and I won't really do like a beginning to end. I'll just kind of do the layout, and then as we talk, we'll probably spoil elements. So if somebody is listening and hasn't seen it, you know, you might 
want to watch it first. But so basically, there there are a few main characters. Martin Landau uh, is the Dr. Judah Rosenthal. Um, he's a successful uh, ophthalmologist, I believe, or optometrist, one of the two. Ophthalmologist. Linus gets that mixed up all the time, too. Remember? <laughs> oh yeah. So so so, so anyway, so Landau's playing Judah, Judah Rosenthal, successful ophthalmologist. Uh, fairly prestigious, and he's carrying on an affair with a woman named Dolores Paley, who is played by Angelica Houston. She threatens to talk to his wife about it, uh, and he fears that he'll lose his family and reputation, and he realizes that the only way out is to have her killed. And there's a beep, kind of a beep story that's happening, second story, uh, where Woody Allen plays this unsuccessful independent filmmaker uh, named Cliff Stern, whose television producer brother-in-law offers him an opportunity to direct a documentary film about himself, Alan feels uh, conflicted. He needs the money, but will it be at the cost of sacrificing his integrity to do a film about somebody who he thinks is kind of an idiot? Uh, and uh, the brother-in-law is played by um, Alan Alda. Alan Alda. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, we also have Mia Farrow in there as uh, someone who's kind of a love interest of Alan. He's married, but the marriage is not doing well, and he's sort of falling for this uh, woman who's—I guess she's a producer of this of this uh, uh, show uh, that they're doing the documentary for. Um, and uh, there's also, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Sam Waterston and Jerry Orbach from Law & Order are both in it as well. Um, so that's kind of the basic idea. So um, you, you sort of have these sort of two characters who are both dealing with something, some kind of a moral dilemma um, and uh, have to sort of make some kind of a choice uh, related to moral integrity. Right. right. And they're kind of related, like Sam, the rabbi, is the brother of, of Woody Allen's sister, he's married, and then Martin Landau and, and Jerry Orbach are brothers. Yes, yes, that's correct. So yeah, there's the element sort of the, 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 the brothers who come from different perspectives and yeah. So, and there, so you know, there, there are like a handful of themes that kind of run through the film. Um, I think that the main one has to do with this issue of uh, final justice, which um, I'm not referring to a, <laughs> a film that's worth by Mystery Science Theater there, um, but this idea of, you know, is, is there justice ultimately uh, that kind of runs throughout it. And um, so, you know, the, the spoiler alert is that Landau's character does decide to have this woman killed. And um, before he does that, he's, I guess, maybe an agnostic or an atheist. He's not really sure about the significance of God. Um, he comes well, he brings it up. He brings it up at the beginning of, can I, is that okay that I've yeah. Okay, so he brings it up at the at the beginning of the movie. He's giving a speech, and he talks, and he's an ophthalmologist, so he's an eye guy. So he talks about his dad was a rabbi, and he says, um, "I always would tell him, you know, Judah, the eyes of God are on us all." And then he said, "Like, I wonder what our God's lo- eyes like." And then he said, "I always imagined them to be extremely penetrating, or something like that." So mm-hmm. he is molded by a religious family. There's no. I don't think there's any getting out of it for him mm-hmm. to begin with. He is yeah. a right, right. But but he kind of does this transformation where it's it's not necessarily clear how significant God is to him mm-hmm. earlier on, mm-hmm. and then once he has this woman killed, he has this sort of change um, where mm-hmm. suddenly he becomes very aware of the weight of his guilt, and yeah. he feels like you know God's eyes are on him. You know he has his brother arrange this hit. Uh, his mm-hmm. brother doesn't have a isn't is in a nearly as prestigious uh, situation, you know. When his brother calls him, you know, to tell him what happens, uh, or maybe it's maybe it's an, a later point, but he says, you know, God have mercy on us. And mm-hmm. there's this moment where 
he's talking to his wife later and he's like, just kind of, you have this idea that for weeks or months or whatever, after he does this, he's just kind of in kind of stuck in himself in his head. Right. And there's a small, I think he's up to dinner with his wife and he just doesn't seem to be engaged with the conversation. And then he suddenly says, I believe in God because without God, the world is a cesspool. Right. Right. <laughs> he just blurts it out. Like we do, you know, your sin will surely find you out kind yeah. of a thing. But earlier, if, if you don't mind going way back to the beginning yeah. of the movie, he's this eye doctor and, uh, He's getting his, he's checking the eyes of the rabbi. So yeah. the rabbi, you know, the, the kind of the thing that's going on is the rabbi is going blind, but he's wise. Martin Landau is um, seeing, but he's unwise. Uh, wow. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. You know how, don't you think? Cause it starts and then the movie starts and it's dark and in the darkness that Martin Landau, the doctor, says, I need to tell you something. I can I confide in you? You know, so yeah. it's in the dark. He's in the dark. He tells him. And then I, 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 the part I love is, is he says, um, uh, the, the rabbi says, well, well, can't you talk to this woman? Can't you end it? And then Martin Landau says, um, the woman won't allow it. Mm -hmm. And I think what's just so interesting is it's just this thing suddenly like he's going, oh, man, I'm. And, and I think the rabbi brings it up at a certain point, like, I'm done with this woman. Mm -hmm. and But she's not going to let me be done with her. So mm. his moral dilemma starts way back right there Yeah, you know, with his adultery when he decided I'm going to just use this person in the way that I want to use him. And then the, the rabbi says, um, uh, sometimes he says, like, can't you confess to your wife? And he says, wisdom comes suddenly, because the guy says, like, I get I can't do this anymore. The rabbi says, wisdom comes suddenly. And then the rabbi says, just tell your wife. And, you know, she might she might go for it. She might forgive yeah. you. I think he says, confess the wrong and hope for understanding. Yes, and hope for understanding. And then maybe you'll have a richer life. And then um, they have that first conversation where he says, the rabbi says, um, I need a moral, I have to believe in a moral structure with meaning to give, you know, to give life meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that begins the journey, if you sure. will. Well, he says, he's, I had a note here, he says that we want, you know, uh, Judah says, you know, we went from a small infidelity to the meaning of existence. And right, right, I, right. I remember thinking, well, you know, from a, from a Christian perspective or, you know, in, even a Jewish perspective here, um, they're related. <laughs> you know, that they're, they're not, they're not entirely these, these two opposite sides of the spectrum. Every, you know, every, every mm -hmm. small thing matters. Um, small, yes. And they're, they're all in the, in the law, they're in the 10 commandments. Like I am yeah. God. And I, I, which is like, I exist, which is his yeah. first question. And then not committing adultery is one of his God's commands about how to get along with each other. If you sure. don't do this, it's probably going to be a good, it's going to be good for you. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. The rabbi's perspective is that, you know, there's, there is meaning in, in, in everything. And right. Landau's conclusion by the end of the film is there's really meaning in nothing uh, except for the personal meaning that we imbue with it. And you talking about the idea of the rabbi being going blind by the end of the film. I, th I think you're right that early on that's done as kind of a, there's sort of a moral significance to that, mm -hmm. that he's going blind, but he's able to see, whereas Landau is able to see, but he's blind morally or in uh -huh. some way. Yeah. But, but I think by the end of the film, it's more cynical because by the end oh, of the yeah. film, Alan is basically saying, 
well, this rabbi has gone blind because he doesn't really see the world for what it is. Um, because in, in Alan's perspective, Woody Allen's perspective, the world is this cold, empty, desolate, godless place. Landau mm -hmm. sees that for what it is, and he's able to move on with his life after he's done this horrible thing because there is no ultimate justice or meaning. And so he right. finds meaning where he can find it. Um, right, because they can do anything because they don't think God is watching. Yes. Even though Martin Landau knows God is watching. But I don't want to, yeah, lead us on, lead on, leader well, to the next thing. We, 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 can, we can jump around. Actually, something that kind of came up there was, and I didn't really realize, I guess, that it is a theme in the film until you said that thing about blindness. But um, there's something that felt like a throwaway bit at the dinner table where he sort of has this sort of flashback to his family arguing about religion. Yeah. Um, uh, Landau does. And um, they, they have this sort of, there's this distinction made between God versus truth and logic. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, well, that's not really, first of all, it's not a relevant distinction. It also doesn't really seem to be significant in the film, but I think maybe as it goes on, it does. But it felt like at the time, it was just kind of Woody showing his hand a little bit. I mean, you know, yes. there's an assumption that there is necessarily a contradiction right. between God and truth. Right, and he's always got, I think Woody Allen, and you don't want to talk about a million other of his films, I think this is like his, I don't know, like 30th film, 20th or something. Anyway, um, he's always got like, uh, it's usually a kind of a militant socialist woman that's in his movies. You know, there's always someone that's kind of ranting and raving about how they don't believe in God. And yeah. and this is this is no exception, but I, what's so cool is it's, uh, no matter what they're discussing, is they're around the table they're eating together, they're discussing, like, wouldn't you love to do that now with families? I mean, talking about the big stuff, it, mm -hmm. it shaped him. Once again, that guy cannot escape escape what shaped him. And I think that's cool. And I think they do talk about science and God as if they're two different things. They sure. do. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think this, this one thing that sort of comes out, which I think is, you know, another, you know, sort of a, um, you know, false dichotomy, um, it, it, well, there's this idea, I think, that you sometimes hear atheists talk about, um, like, they're, they're more courageous somehow because they can face a world without meaning. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but of course, the, the problem with that is, like, if there's no meaning, then courage isn't even a virtue, and it's not deserving of praise. It's, there's, I mean, there's no, there's no deserving of praise for living a meaningless life. Right, right. Body. So it's always sort of a very strange, because um, there is this idea that, you know, his father is arguing with his sister, who's the atheist. And, you know, the father says, you know, um, you know, if I, if I'm wrong, I've, I've lived a good life that felt meaningful and happy. And, you know, so what do I lose? And that's where I think Woody sets up this thing between God versus truth, you know, well, but if you're wrong, well, you know, you, you're blinded and deluded, but at least you're happy. But right. we atheists, we have to have the courage to face reality for what it is. And are, aren't we so brave for doing that? And it's like, well, I, <laughs> I guess, I guess so, but it's not like that's in any way praiseworthy in your in your world because right. bravery is no value, right? Because you already said there weren't any, so why aren't you robbing banks and you know breaking into liquor stores all the time? Just do whatever you want, then, but you don't. Why not? I don't know. Yeah, you know, but it's Pascal's bargain, isn't it? The idea that like if if it's true it's awesome if it's not you live a nice life you don't lose but if uh, with atheism you lose you lose yeah yeah 
Well, and, and, and it's possible you lose both ways. I mean, I know that there, there's, I guess, kind of different ways to look at it, but Paul says something to the effect of, if there isn't a resurrection, we may as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Right. Um, but on the other fools. hand, yeah, we're fools. But but on the other hand, you know, sometimes, you know, would you rather be a happy fool or a, or a, or a miserable wise person? Um, <laughs> and if there's mm-hmm. no value in wisdom, then be the, miser- be the uh, happy fool, I think. Don't be a happy fool. Right, right. Yeah. By the end of the film, and this is obviously the ultimate spoiler, um, Landau's character has basically gotten away with it. Um, Woody, but but, you, but also, before you get there, you have to back up because he still oh. because he starts with the the adultery, right? Yes. Then what what what's next with him with her? She's going to blackmail him, so he wants to pay her off. So now he's kind of prostituting her. Yeah, there, there's something. I, I wish I would have. Maybe I didn't write it down, but there's something about how one sin leads to another. Don't they say? Yeah. Does that at some point in the film? Yeah, one um, thing, and it does with him. Like it just gets worse. So, you know, the lying, then the infidelity. Now he's trying to pay her off. Then he calls the brother. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 is looking for his brother. Remember when his brother keeps saying, "Ah, uh, what do you want? Why did you call me?" So the brother's mixed up in the underworld and. Um, he's like, why did you call me? And then Judas kind of saying like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, as the viewer, you know why he called him. He wants his brother to talk him into doing it. Yeah. 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 And he does. He has this sort of tendency to to put it on, put what he's done on other people. I've noticed where, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's his brother or it's this guy who killed, you know, oh, this guy is so terrible. You know, he goes from place to place killing these people he doesn't know that somehow that makes it worse than. Killing yeah. somebody that you've been intimate with. Yeah, <laughs> you know I know, I, mean? I know. And he paid for it. You, nothing gets done without the money. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. ultimate justice. I'm sorry. I keep bringing you back away from it. Well, that's well, actually, maybe maybe it's better to step a little bit to it. So I, I think it's interesting how Landau's character evolves. So there's this place early on after he's done what he's done. And, you know, he has this deep sense of deserving punishment. And, and I think that's often our situation, you know, we're confronted with our sin and we have this deep sense of we deserve punishment. We've done something terrible. And then once you have some distance, you tend to rationalize it. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, so ultimately, you know, if you're able to cope, the crime of murder is not any more distressing to the soul than, than any of the other minor crimes we commit through our lives, you know. And so there's something, even though it's an extreme situation, I think there's something kind of universal, um, to what you know what landau is is doing there um mm-hmm. you know we all sort of have to face our sins in a way and he you know he does he gets distance from it he's not caught and in contrast you have woody allen's character who uh, tries to do what he thinks you know requires moral integrity and um you know he doesn't uh you know do the film the way he's supposed to and he makes it about how this 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 film producer this television producer is basically mussolini and he's in you know he's a cat and that kind of thing <laughs> and and so, you know, he feels like he's done the right thing. But then, of course, he doesn't get the girl. Uh, the, the, the brother-in-law gets the girl. And so there's this idea that, you know, Landau uh, gets away with it and when he, when he does what's wrong. And, you know, Woody's character tries to do what's right and he's punished. Right. And, and so there's that question, too. You know, what's integrity worth if there is no ultimate purpose? Uh, right. And I would even say, though, with Woody Allen, like he tried to do what, what was right, what, by making the documentary documentary the way he wanted to? Well, I think he felt that he was doing so, he was he was doing it with integrity. So 
he was trying to stay consistent with his values and not selling out. Um, whereas, you know, his brother-in-law just basically does whatever he needs to do to succeed in life, which is, in a way, Alan Alda's kind of a mirror image of Martin Landau. Um, you know, Alan Alda doesn't kill anybody. He does sort of, you know, fluffy television stuff that doesn't really hurt anybody necessarily. Um, but ultimately, what they're trying to do is just be successful and wealthy in life, and they don't have yeah. to really be concerned and about integrity obvious, or quality. He's, yeah, he's a huge cad. But I would say... Um, that I, I think that Woody Allen's character doing the documentary the way he knows no one is going to want, yeah. I think there's just a certain self-centeredness in that, in that like I am this artist and um, yes. I'm not interested in money, but he is. He's interested in being navel-gazing and doing his own thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and But he's jealous of the other guy's success and he wants the same woman he wants so he ultimately wants the same things too. He wants yeah. the spoils of life. And then the guy that he's doing the documentary on, I think this is just kind of interesting. He's not wise at all. Mm -hmm. You Dr. want the rabbi? Levy? No, uh, Dr. Levy, the guy that Woody Allen's really doing the oh, documentary sorry, the, the about. Professor. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, doing Professor it. Levy. Yeah. He says some of the stupidest stuff. I, I wrote it down. I wonder if we can find it. But like, he's not wise. He's interesting and eccentric, but he's not wise. Well, yeah, I think that they've used the professor. So he, so yeah, Alan is doing two different documentaries: one for money about about Alan Alda's character, another one about this professor. Yeah. Um, and his words are kind of like what you leave at the end of the movie with, and he says something to the effect of, "You know, you make your own happiness, and you find joy in the simple things," um, which is kind of like you know. Yes. Woody Allen's supposed to be trying to sort of have an optimistic ending, you know, okay, sure, life is meaningless and murder is, you know, no better than, you know, no worse than anything else. But, right. you know, you make your own happiness and you find joy in the simple things. And that's kind of life affirming, isn't it? I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, here it is. He says, he says, um, one of the things that this Professor Le Leary says, um, he says, um, um, where is it? Um, no matter what your philosophic, remember he goes, no matter what your philosophical system you work out, um, you have to find something to make you happy. Like you, but he's just saying like, you just work out your own philosophical system and then that will make you happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it doesn't cause he commits suicide, which is, you know, kind of the, it's sad and, and, ironic and everything in the movie but i i'm not exactly sure what he was trying to say with that character committing suicide yeah i mean i i, I guess yeah I mean, that's kind of interesting i mean yeah so obviously this character is supposed to be kind of uh, life affirming and and um you know wise or whatever but he ends up committing suicide because he uh you know he still feels like something's missing and and he can't quite i don't know i guess he faces down the the meaninglessness of life and Kills himself, uh, yeah. Yeah, all his philosophy is not really enough to get him all the way. Which, right. I mean, he says yeah, the universe is a pretty cold place, but we infuse it with meaning and feelings. And then um, no matter what your philosophical system you have, you work out, you, yeah. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe in a way he's a, he's a symbol for the effort that is the film itself. You know, it's, you know, life is meaningless, but let's find some meaning anyway and, and do what we can. And then you ultimately, that's not tenable. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so you end up having to kill yourself. Yeah. Yes. I know. It's so sad. Okay. So are you going to, I have, can I ask you something? Yeah. 
Uh, um, so he's doing the, uh, the Alan Alda character, who I think is the best acting in the film. It's he's hilarious. Oh, he's great. He's smug if and it, and if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not funny. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you. What do you think of that as a philosophy? What do you think? And then time. No, history plus time or, equals comedy. Or tragedy plus time equals Yes, time. tragedy. Sorry. Tragedy yeah, yeah. plus time equals comedy. What do you think of those two things? I'm turning the tables on you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't entirely disagree. I mean, I think they're kind of, you know, I, I think Alan, Woody Allen is trying to sort of put these things out there that are kind of cliches. Right, right, so right. So that, you know, I think Alan Alda delivers them as if they're, you know, very, you know, unique insights that no one has ever said before. Right. But they're not entirely untrue. Yes, uh, that's that's what I think. It's it's kind of interesting because they're, yeah, they're hackneyed, but it's kind of true. But um, I just think it's so funny how um, Alan Alda is just trying to make these these like huge points, and Woody Allen's just oh, he's rolling his eyes. I, that's some of the best stuff. Yeah. Um, because I just think it's so funny, but I still think. He should have made that the film he was supposed to make as well as he could have for the purposes because he had his passionate project on the other side. And I think it just shows his the smallness of that person's uh, of that character's character. Yeah. Yeah, well, he is small in a way because ultimately Alan Alda is kind of likable. I mean, he doesn't, he, Alan Alda doesn't play, he doesn't play the characters entirely terrible. I mean, there, there, there are times where you like him a lot more than you like Woody Allen's character. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's this, I guess when I say, you know, that Allen's character is trying to live with integrity, obviously that's not consistent because he's, you know, wanting to try to have an affair on his wife. And he's, um, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he, he agrees to do this documentary and he does it a way that he's not supposed to, that he knows that people who right. are paying him don't want him to do it that way. Right. And so there, he's not really living with integrity, but he has this small sense of, you know, this very small scope of what he thinks integrity is. And he tries to live according to that. Right. And he's, so I, I, I kind of got the sense of, that that was supposed to be the message at the end that, that, you know, Woody's character tries to do what's right. He's punished and Landau does what's wrong and he prospers. Um, right. So, you know, so, but, you know, obviously if there's no God, then Landau does get away with it. Whereas if Woody would have done, you know, sold himself out. He probably he might have gotten the girl, and he might have been successful, and you know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but at the end, remember, doesn't Martin Landau says, "I worried about it for a while, and then one day, I didn't think about it anymore." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he says it's something that maybe you might come to you every now and then, and you might you might it might bother you, but you'll get over it. It's kind of like you know thinking about something embarrassing you said you know, just somebody one time that you wished you hadn't. Oh, totally. Cody, I was totally thinking of that same example and, yeah. and, and the little things. And like, you know how the time maybe you would say that thing and then you'd call that person up and apologize and yeah. how good you feel about it yourself, but then how much kind of good uh, uh, it's the right thing to do because you've wronged someone. And yeah. so in a sense, it, re it exists no more. Mm-hmm because it's been confessed and forgiven generally on those small social sins. And, um, and that is, it's as is it exists no more. And that's what the rabbi was trying to have happen at the very beginning. Just tell her. Yeah. And, and, and you may luck out, you may not, but you'll have a richer life. And um, then after the heinous murder, which is just awful, 
um, then he's thinking about confessing. And then his brother was like, no, the, the time to confess was way back when with Miriam, when you did this, not now. Yeah. Even though yeah. as a Christian, as a, as a, as a um, uh, believer in God, Christian, whoever, uh, anytime's the right time to confess, but he's going to bring everybody down with him now. Yeah, because yeah, because because he 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 wants to live the life he wants to live regardless of, um, you know, he, he doesn't want to face the consequences of what he's done. He's he's he'll do what he wants to do, and then he'll he'll make it work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so, terrifying. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I actually I watched I watched the movie with my my uh, my wife, and she's um, really gotten into a lot of Woody Allen movies. But this is one she hadn't seen all the way through. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's because you get it. What kind of upsets you is. You you get worried that he's going to get caught. You, yeah. you kill the woman, which is horrible, and you should be hoping he gets caught. And yet you kind of go like, "Oh no, don't get caught now! Don't go back to her apartment. What are you doing?" And then I'm saying to myself, "What are you? No, he should get caught. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible." Yeah. But we well, all want to like the nice guy because he's a pretty good guy every in every other way. Well, I think that's the thing about film too is you, you always want to um, you know empathize with the protagonist because you uh -huh. see the film through his perspective or right. her perspective right. and the, the the danger of that sometimes is that you begin to empathize <laughs> with uh, uh things you, you shouldn't no um, i know and she's laying there dead even though but then the other hard, hard thing is she's annoying yeah and <laughs> so maybe it's okay she's it's yeah isn't it hard because she's annoying just how exactly how she's become annoying to him she's annoying to the audience and i think angelica houston does a nice job in uh, as that um character yeah and okay so this is totally off topic i didn't realize until like a couple of years ago that angelica houston is john houston's daughter oh wow right yeah so you did you already know that did you know that yeah, already? Oh, yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah i felt like an idiot i was like oh how did i not know that all right. And you know, the little girl in this movie that he takes to the movies, his niece, uh, yeah. um, is Mike Nichols' daughter. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. She's really great in this, too, actually. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I like the kind of the relationship he has with his niece that kind of go out to movies and there's kind of a kind of a paternal sort of relationship, but it's also kind of childlike in a way. <laughs> yeah. I think it's all fine um, until you know about Woody Allen's personal life. Like, it, I can't abide it. Uh, yeah, so there is that. There, okay, so, yeah, but, there are certain things that you see, especially oh. leading up to, you know, every, you know, all the different things, where you it becomes harder to watch because you think about the least, well, and so obviously there's the thing with um, his, uh, with uh, Mia's adopted um, right. and daughter who he marries. Right. Oh, and, yeah. oh. and so that's obviously inappropriate and weird, but not, you know, illegal or anything. But uh, but yeah, then there's the other the other charges, um, which, yeah, I, maybe that's maybe this is an interesting thing to talk about, which is. Um, well, I don't know. I'd rather not. It's such yeah, a savory topic. It um, is. All I'm saying is, it get it's it. You start to think about that when you see his film. So, like when I was watching this for our discussion, I yeah. kind of had to just say, uh, I'm not going to think about that stuff. Yes. I'm just going to try and think about the this story as presented as a finished film without me knowing who the filmmaker is. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't. I I don't really watch his. I wouldn't seek out his stuff anymore because uh, I've seen it all. Mm -hmm. uh, although, 
like new stuff i mean i probably wouldn't go to see anything new i don't know uh i don't know about that but i tried not to and then there's that other unsavory thing in this about that whole thing with his sister and that horrible man and i just thought ah let's you don't even have to talk about it because it doesn't really have a, a, a lot for us to discuss i understand yeah <laughs> well the, yeah and I, I i wasn't really planning on going anywhere with that because it this feels so like gross. a separate issue and yeah and it's, it's bothersome totally, yeah. I, I i did so one one thing that i think does come through as you're watching you know you, everything that he did before what you know he's accused of whatever is you see it through a new light right it may have not meant anything mm-hmm. at that point but you know and the thing i remember thinking was um, you know, if, um, you know, if, if Woody Allen, you know, believes this sort of nihilistic worldview wholeheartedly, then he's, then he's, he's exactly the kind of person that could do something really totally terrible mm-hmm. and, and just go on in, in his, with his life. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and I sometimes feel like this movie was a turning point for him. I mean, obviously, what the heck do I know? He could tune into our podcast and go what the you know they don't know what they're talking about but um it feels like to me like he was working something out in this movie and he kind of decided ah you you do what you do i mean i think he said you know the heart wants what it wants well boy we know as christians the heart is deceitful above all things and uh it will take you places that are bad yeah absolutely yeah and and you know yeah Absolutely. I think we've touched on a lot of the, the the big topics, the God topics and things. I always love his takes to the camera and when he's just doing his deadpan face. Um, uh-huh. I love the scene. I love when he says um, uh, he's watching the movie with her, you know, reel by reel. They're eating the Chinese food together. And then he's like, you know, I, I, I'm taking an instant likey to you. And then she says, and I to him about the film they're watching. And oh yeah, but, yeah, but the, at the camera like, what the heck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like wah wah, Charlie Brown, he loses again. Yeah, and I and you know what, I I I enjoy all these sort of different genres and stuff that he plays with, but I have to say that I I kind of like um, shticky Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he has a, he has a special place in my heart. Um, yeah, totally. When he's funny, he is so funny. Yeah, like I, I, you know, take the money and run is, is just one of those that is just kind of consistently hilarious. And there's even some of the later ones that people don't like a lot. My my wife's one of her favorites is one that he did. What's your wife's name? Oh, Raven. Raven. Hi, Raven. <laughs> okay, so uh, what was I going to say? Okay, we're talking about Sticky Woody Allen. I was saying okay, so one of my my wife's favorite uh, Woody Allen films is um, a film called Small Time Crooks that he did with Tracy yeah, Ullman. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, everybody else hates it, but we no, think it's really good. That's funny, and then I love Radio Days. Oh yes, yeah. That actually, that probably that and Small Time Crooks, I think, are my wife's favorites. Yeah, I just love Radio Days. I think that's when he's at his very best, um, uh, because it's just funny and the nostalgia is good. And I also like uh, the Paris movie with the with the Owen brother playing Woody Allen. Yeah, Midnight in Paris. Uh huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, that's a great one too. Um, it, that reminds me a lot of uh, Purple Rose of Cairo because it's kind of this idea of creating this kind of perfect world that, you know, once you're in it, you realize it's it's not all that it is, all that it seems. Right. Um, right. It's a, it's a little different because I guess Purple Rose of Cairo 
um, you know, she comes back to it in a sense. She, she right. wants to go into it and then decides not to because it's not real. But then she still finds that there's something attractive to that, which is, it's about film. You know, you, you find these right. movies that, that touch you in a certain way and they're better than reality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yes, and that one is more about film than, than uh, Midnight in Paris is about nostalgia and the danger of nostalgia. I yes. Think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a dangerous thing because nostalgia is always kind of a sadness and it's that longing for something that was. And, um, you know, as Christians, we know that longing that we all have is really because we're not really at home here. As C.S. Lewis says, we're, we're longing for heaven. But nostalgia is knowing that and allowing yourself to uh, forget it as a Christian. If, I think it's a dangerous thing for Christians to get nostalgic. We're, we're always called to be living right in the moment that we're at for the hope for, you know, our eternity. And nostalgia is bad. Well, you know, and, and yeah, I, I um, It's I, not uh, memory. It's not remembering like you do, like remember what our forefathers did for us or that that's different. Yeah. It's, it's that whimsy, you know, you know. We've really focused really just on the one story for the most part, the murder. Yeah. And, but to me, that's the story. That's, mm -hmm. that's the big story. Um, but at one point they say, God is a luxury I can't afford. Yeah, well. And um, they're right. If they don't want, they think they're getting away from judgment because then they also say, don't you, you don't think God sees. So they're really stuck between those two things. Yes. You know, and then just the idea of, I just couldn't stop thinking the whole time is like, he just, if he had just at the very beginning confessed to the small thing, all this thing wouldn't have unraveled and is really his pride causes mm -hmm. him to think that his wife, his pride makes him think his wife can't forgive. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know what's in her heart. Well, ultimately, I think what whether he, because you don't really know a lot about her because she's not really, I mean, she's not really a character. She's kind of more of a device. You know, yeah. you know that she's there, but. Um, but but it doesn't matter because you see the, the life that he's built and she's part of that. Yeah, the that's kids true. Kids and their nice sweatery life and their fires and, you know, the fireplace and their cocktails and like she's part of that and, and he couldn't have done that without her. Yeah. Well, but, but I think regardless of, you know, whether he knows how she'll react or not, I think what you sort of get what comes across is he doesn't want to be bothered. And, you know, right. I think we, you know, he's built a certain life and he's cut corners when he's had to, um, to get to where he is. And, and, you know, we do that, you know, we, we, we don't want to be bothered with having integrity. Right. Um, right. Because that gets in the way of, of what we need. And which I think, you know, this may, maybe maybe the point of the film. We don't want to be bothered with integrity because it gets in the way of what we want, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. Because whenever we make moral compromises, don't you think it's exactly that? Yes, I would say so. And um, yeah, and 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 I don't and, and really buy. There's something. I think that's kind of troubling, although I think it's consistent from an atheistic perspective that um, Woody Allen's story or the character, the story of his character and the story of Martin Landau's character are really parallel stories in a way. Um, th this mm -hmm. idea that, that, you know, because, because uh, Woody Allen's character uh, made his brother-in-law look like Mussolini, 
um, you know, he's <laughs> taken the moral high ground somehow. And that was, that was sort of like, you know, that was, it was like his decision not to kill his mistress. You know what I mean? It was like, like yeah. somehow equivalent. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, from an atheistic perspective, the difference between those two things is subjective. You know, somebody might see them as significant because that's just how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somebody might see it very differently as, as, as the Martin Landau's character does. Right, right. But I, I don't you think that Martin Landau's character, Judah, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is an interesting name that he picks like the, the main, the name of the main son, you know, Mm-hmm. Judah, and um, that he just picked such a strong name for that guy, leader, everything. Um, he knows. I, I, I just don't think that he's ever going to escape his his guilt. I think, you know, if you were to, this is real life and life went on, I think he'd confess. I think it'd be a deathbed confession. Yeah, well, so, I mean, yeah, and obviously this is crime and punishment turned on its head. It's you know, right. Dostoevsky's crime and punishment. Um, is it? Well, basically, but turned on its head. So there, there are certain parallel characters um that run throughout but there's the basic idea of the, that's a big long book that i never yeah. have read <laughs> um I, yes it would be it would be uh, uh it would be lacking of integrity for me to uh to say that i have read it um but but i'm i've i've seen a couple film adaptations and i uh looked at the wikipedia page last night sure. so um <laughs> right yeah, there are some parallel characters but the, the basic idea of the um the man who commits the crime uh, thinking he's going to get away with it, that he can he can handle the weight of the guilt, and right. uh, it doesn't work out. Um, no, it never works out. I can't. I mean, I never even shoplifted anything because I would die. Of, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm terrible. I stole. I stole some shirts from. Uh, I'm. I'm telling everyone now. I stole some shirts out of a locker from an opposing basketball team, and I thought about it for years later. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I used to. <laughs> I used to, um, uh, you know, when I was, you know, a teenage atheist. I was a teenage atheist. That's oh my like, god, that's a great the mystery movie. science theater would do. Um, yes. Um, I, uh, you know, thought it was really cool, and you know, I was, you know, thought of myself as very. Uh, I, I think I, I thought that I was. It's kind of like the midnight in Paris. I was born in the wrong era. I thought of myself as a '60s radical. Sure, I would have, sure, I would have sure. hung out with Abby Hoffman or whatever. Right. Um, and so, you know, I thought, oh, I'm gonna, you know, shoplift from my local grocery store here and there. And right. uh, then I, I became a Christian, and I and I heard about restitution, and I, I went back and, and gave the money for the things I'd stolen. Because after you know, after there's a time where I think it does. But wow, but that's maybe, cool. But maybe not for everybody, though. I mean, certainly there are people who you know, you know, hit men who who, who go to their graves and uh, they don't confess. But do they live a quality life? Uh, you know, what's their what's their inner life really like? Uh, oh gosh, they don't know. Is I, I it's it's troubling because I I assume that on some level, you're able to cope because, you know I don't know not maybe not everybody but no but on I some level, I'd like to try and get a normal life at a you know work at a dry cleaner and I'd bring someone their shirt and I'd be like here's your shirt I killed someone I would just tell people I would I could mold it in I would be a bad I'd be a bad girl. So, 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 what, what, what are, what are? Do you have any final thoughts before we, uh, before we sign off? And I will uh, mention uh, again all the uh, cool stuff you're working on. Um, okay, no, I, you know, the other kind of just interesting thing I thought was it ended at a wedding, the wedding banquet of the bride. Yeah. Uh, you know that that you know at the end of in Revelation, there's there's a big celebration at the end. There's a wedding, and I thought it was interesting that they're moral uh lives 
kind of ended and begin at this wedding. You know, it they go their ways. It's over. Yeah, like it's chosen. It's done. And I, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that on purpose. But I thought it was kind of, kind of a fun thing for us to think about. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. So yeah, Revelation ends with judgment and a wedding, and uh, crimes and misdemeanors just ends with a wedding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they decided there isn't a judgment. Yeah, and that's the good news. Uh, so <laughs> if if, you're, if you've done something terrible, that's the good news. Um, so okay, so um, I just want to mention again. So uh, but, you know, people who are who've uh, who've uh, enjoyed this conversation and uh, enjoyed what you had to say. Um, one thing they can check out is your podcast instead of tweeting. Yes, um, it's only a minute at a time. I mean, anyone can listen to this. You will not. I mean, it's over before it begins. The the credits are as long as the content. Sure, and the idea is instead of tweeting, you uh -huh. deliver a short pod. You have to you have to hear it to understand the title. It's one of those complicated things. Um, and um, and also you've been you've been doing a lot of uh, short, especially shorts, and also some features uh, for riff tracks. Yes, yes, monthly. Yeah, monthly, you just, monthly. Mm -hmm. you just, it actually just one just came out, or at least in like the last week or so. Uh, it did. What was it? Um, I can't remember uh, what it was. But um, coming up very soon for Thanksgiving is Let's Talk Turkey, a half hour short about how you can cook a turkey. I have written so many jokes about turkeys. This is like the third <laughs> time I've written a, a whole entire short movie about turkeys. So it's a favorite subject of yours. Uh, yes, I guess it is. But it's my Thanksgiving special. And then coming up for Christmas, uh, Mary Jo and I will be riffing the 1940 classic it's called beyond christmas original title beyond tomorrow starring hollywood and as hollywood actor and minnesotan richard carlson wow okay that's awesome and, and for for people who are familiar with uh, mystery science theater mary joe uh, was on the show so she was early on she'd be coming as like jan in the pan and then mm -hmm. she ends up uh, having a larger role later on as uh, pearl forrester yes, yes yes and she was a longtime writer and funny very funny person and friend of mine and writing partner and um, yeah, she's wunderbar. That's awesome. Okay, and and I, it's occurred to me and I keep forgetting to do this. I am terrible at self promotion, so mm -hmm. I'm going to mention my website, cantusfermus.com. That's cantus-fermus.com. Uh, there's also a, a Facebook page that I've I don't think I've ever mentioned, and uh, I also have a, a number of books that you can read for free at cantusfermus.com. There's also links to where you can get them on Amazon, uh, so check those out if you have any uh, interest as well. And, what what does cantus firmus mean? Um, okay, so I, I took it from uh, a, a line that's uh, that Bonhoeffer um, has in one of his uh, letters that he wrote when he's in prison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the cantus firmus is the central melody that all the other melodies uh, sort of build around. So it's the idea that uh, that Jesus is the central melody and that we sort of arrange everything else in life around Jesus. Oh, I like that. I yeah. like that. So, so whether I it's... Asked, I should have asked Mike. So whether it's what? Also, I was just saying, you know, whether it's, you know, my interest in films or, you know, whether it's, you know, your love for your family or whatever, all of that, you know, is meant to complement the central melody that is Christ. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I think it sounds nice, but it's of course hard to remember, and people don't always know how to spell it. So it was a terrible choice for a website address. Well, that's okay. I mean, Bonhoeffer's so cool. So that's this beautiful thought he had, and he was plotting to kill Hitler, which is like so awesome. He was the best. 
<laughs> yeah, he's and he's he's amazing to read if you if you I love him. Uh, if you've never read him before. But yeah, okay, awesome. Okay, thank you everyone for listening and uh, make sure you check out Rift Tracks and instead of tweeting. <laughs> <laughs>